When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. It's Sunday, it's the end of the weekend, well, kind of, depending on where you listen to this show, and it's been a busy, busy 48 hours of Premier League action. For the first time this season, the blue and red halves of Manchester are delighted after both teams picked up three points on the same weekend. However, just down the road, just down the M62, it was not as much of a happy 48 hours as Liverpool controversially drew at Brighton and Everton lost at home to Leeds. So with that in mind, we have got plenty to get through on tonight's show. My name's Fergal Brennan, and I'll be on the record button tonight. And joining me to get through all the action from the last two days is football journalist Rob Blanchett. Rob, how are we? I'm good, thanks. How are you, Fergal? I'm very well, I'm very well. And we also have Manchester City fan and podcaster, renowned podcaster, Ant McGinley. Ant, how are we? I'm very well. I'm just a bit annoyed about the kits at the United game, but I'll hold on to that for a second. Okay, okay. Well, you're only going to have to hold on to that for a second because in part one, that's exactly where we're going to be starting. Manchester United's 3-2 comeback at Southampton. In the second part, we're going to be talking about Manchester City who enjoyed their annual 5-0 hammering of Burnley. And then in the third part, it's going to be Liverpool's draw away at Brighton as well as all the other Premier League action from the last 48 hours. Right, so Southampton 2, Manchester United 3. Brilliant game for the neutral to watch Rob I imagine as a Manchester United fan you were having palpitations but as we've seen so many times over the years when United have needed a hero somebody has stepped up Cantona Ole Gunnar Solskjaer Cristiano Ronaldo Wayne Rooney Paul Scholes Ryan Giggs the names just roll off the tongue today after 45 minutes a man with jet black long hair dark eyes strolled out of the tunnel at the St Mary's Stadium and saved Manchester United Rob talk to me about Edison Cavani well, he's the new Magnificent Seven, isn't he? Um, yeah, it was a great performance from him coming on in the second half. Uh, it wasn't a fantastic first half from Manchester United, but I think that they, they certainly deserved the three points at the end of the day. I think through the second half, they dominated the game. And they just really, I think 
pushed through with that diamond in the second half, whereas in the first half there was lots of gaps for Southampton to exploit, even though it was two set pieces that obviously gave them the lead. But uh, a pleasing result for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and uh, a step forward for Manchester United. And Jim has mothballed the uh, cliche bell and Rob's hit them all there. So we're just going to have to do a mental ding, 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 game of two halves. But this really, really was a game of two halves, an absolute dictionary definition of a game of two halves. United pretty dreadful in the first 45 minutes. Southampton 2-0 up ahead of the break. And then it just turned on its head. And yes, we talk about Cavani and the performances, but... United needed this. You, you get the sense that the pressure that Solskjaer's been under, we all expected 2-0 Southampton to, to hang on in there and maybe United squeeze a point, but definitely not win. Is there an argument to say that Cavani has kind of saved Solskjaer's job or at least given him a bit more of a stay of execution? I mean, you could say that has Solskjaer found his Solskjaer or at least uh, an Oliver Giroud, somebody that can come off the bench and make a real difference to the game. I'm pretty sure Rob and, and lots of other correspondence had at the back of their mind at the very least some kind of paragraph they were putting together to sort of you know say farewell to uh, Ollie's time as Man United manager because you know I think that there's a lot of pressure that comes around that job whoever's got it but especially the way things are at the minute I mean uh, Jay who regularly comes on the show just chatted to him earlier and he was an, he was really upset and angry because United are just in seventh and it's just not good enough and um yeah, I, I think from a United point of view, this could be actually be a really pivotal moment. I think Cavani coming on and scoring those goals, and you know what? People have talked about these A's, but if you've not seen the goals yet, you watch those goals and you compare them to goals he scored throughout his career, and he doesn't look any different. I know a big deal has been made about the fact he, he was injured a lot of PSG and he's hardly played this year, but you know whatever they've done to look after him and get him back to fitness, he looks sharp. And that is that is a real blessing. That is to, to be able to add that and a different flavour and a different mix. And also from a long-term project point of view, for the likes of Mason Greenwood, even if it's just one season, training along Edison Cavani, that's going to have a real impact. So we had similar effects with the likes of um, the, the big fella previously, uh, Ibrahimovic coming along and, and his influence on, on the rest of the squad. Um, I think... I think it would be very easy to um, say how bad things would have been had it gone that way. I think it's not an ideal result to go through, especially for the stress levels and for the heart of the manager especially. But I think something like this, something where you are in a perilous position, you're going at halftime, you're 2-0 down, really that's when you your last real influence as a manager you can have on the game is those changes and that 15 minutes you get with the players in the dressing room. Now, whether it was all down to that or something else, I, I think there'll be a lot that uh, a, a lot of strength that people can draw from that. Obviously, people will say, well, why didn't he play Cavani from the beginning? Perhaps he's not fully much fit. Perhaps there's a few other things going on there as well. But the fact is... Sochad got it wrong and then he's made adjustments and he's come out with the result and it's not the first time I mean famously very similar result against Man City not so long ago 2-0 down at half time coming back and turning it around so actually I think there's a lot for United fans to be happy about with this and um, yeah in in terms of just like the general stress that comes with it and worrying about Sochad's job and those kind of things you know what I think they need to stop worrying about that because there's always going to be that because it's such a high profile job and it's a club 
and, and a team that people want to play for and be at and people expect the best of because they've got such an incredible history behind them. But in doing so, they might miss what's there. And I think, all right, it's it's just Southampton, but Southampton are having a very good season. And I think to be able to come back from 2-0 down, whatever he's done, whatever strings he's pulled, whatever influence he's had there, I think Oli can draw a lot of pride from that result. Uh, Rob, obviously when you look at the situation at United, and Ant's 100% right when he talks about United's history and their standing within the Premier League and where you would expect them to be, Solskjaer's never shied away from the fact that Manchester United should be challenging for the Premier League title and he's tried to instil that into the players and Bruno Fernandes is uh, kind of an on-pitch representation of that. He's been very clear when he's done interviews and talked about where United should be, the sorts of standards. Someone like Cavani with the CV that he's got, performances for not just for PSG, but for Napoli and, and on an international stage. Do you think someone like Cavani can show Manchester United players what they need to be doing to be a Manchester United player, even though he's been there for less time than the rest of them, due to the fact that he knows what it takes to perform in the Champions League and, and to win big titles. Well, Manchester United remain one of the youngest squads in the Premier League. So, of course, I think when you bring in a veteran like Cavani, someone who's done it at a couple of clubs, big clubs across Europe, I think what the goals we, sc- we saw him score today were very much reminding me of Cavani of Napoli. You know, just you know, the fox in the box, the guy who can get across the last man and just get that vital touch on it. Uh, and they're all things that I think Martial and Greenwood and even Rashford to an extent need to learn. So in training, I agree every day to, to have that influence around you is great. But I still see really Cavani very much so as a super sub at Manchester United, not really a starter. He'll start plenty of games in the rotation. And I think that's something that Ole will do across the season. But, you know, he's a he's a 12-month stopgap, maybe two years at the very best. Uh, and it's not really the kind of direction of the football club that Manchester United want to be going in. They need to find that striker or develop from within. So I still think Mason Greenwood is the guy that we want to see going forward as Manchester United centre-forward. Uh, or, you know, he's not started this season very well, uh, Anthony Martial, but he showed last year with 23 goals and six assists that he can play that role. So there's lots of positives for Manchester United, even though, as we've said, whenever United lose, the headlines always about Ole potentially losing his job. Uh, I think people need to be calm and just let him get on with it. Um, before we move on to Southampton Ant, I just want to touch on Cavani again and I do see what Rob says this idea of being a 12 month stopgap and, and his age and the fact that you've got such brilliant prospects like Greenwood and I, I'd still count Rashford as a as a prospect yes he's, he's established himself as a Premier League player but he's still in the younger years of his career but given the fact that looking at the numbers here United have gone five Premier League games without one of their strikers scoring other than Cavani it's been Fernandez who got the key goal against West Brom it was Fernandez and Cavani who scored against Everton there clearly is an issue finding the back of the net in the Premier League is it not worth starting him giving him a run in the Premier League to see if maybe he's able to last I mean there was concerns over Ibrahimovic whether he had the the physical endurance to cope with a full Premier League season and he did very well yeah I mean when when you look at his, his pedigree like Cavani I think it's something like in the last like 14-15 seasons like, there's, there's only one occasion where he scored under 20 goals which is just nuts. Uh, so he, he, he's just been on fire, and I think that was more affected by injury uh, and other things that were going on. Um, I think, you know, a similar argument can be put at City at the moment in terms of, you know, the likes of not having the depth of strike force that other clubs have. 
and not having had somebody else that they can bring in and drop there that, that you can roll out into the pitch and, and get those goals. Of course, this is an experiment that United have done previously. We've seen it work very well with Ibrahimovic and not work so well with, and I always forget his name because he was such a forgettable Falcao. Falcao, yeah, exactly. So th- th- there, there, there seems to be some kind of budget in the Man United kitty for every two seasons to bring in this big name and... Um, it can work, and and you know if 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 United get the Cavani that we saw today, if they get another just ten games like that out of him, you know they'll they'll, they'll definitely be worth spending the money on it. Um, in terms of, I I think it comes back down to the pressure again. I think the thing is United do have an incredible squad and an incredible academy of youngsters as well and of course that's where Rashford himself came from and uh, previously you know the great United teams you know were built on that ability to pr- bring through those those great pl- talents from the academy but also introducing you know a, a, a huge name spend the money bring that person in to do things with it I, I don't think it's as black and white as going well it's a good thing is it a bad thing I think they just need to go you know what it's working right now let's be thankful for that that we've got the options and you know Cavani like it's 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 a it's a real he's made, really made an impact and this is what I said in, in the earlier bit about how social I find his social perhaps Cavani you know and and Although he, although he's thirty three, I don't know if you've seen any of uh, any of the shots of him in training or warming up for the games, but he looks super fit. Like he is when they're doing the sprints out on the pitch, he is in front every single time. And this is a guy at thirty three when, especially in that position, you're kind of looking to maybe perhaps tone it down and drop back a little bit, maybe move into a slightly different position. But he looks super fit, and he's looked super sharp today, and. If United can keep him at that level for the rest of the season, that I don't think they really need to worry about the impact he's going to have elsewhere. It's, he's, he's going to do the job that he's been brought in for. Yeah, I agree. I'm fully sold on Cavani. I, I get in a very kind of uh, Matrix vibe from him. I can see him dark shades, full length leather jacket, just rocking up to United <laughs> training tomorrow. Like, listen. I'll take it from here. But um, Southampton, we can't ignore them. Uh, Rob, they, they haven't managed to pick up a win since uh, they come back from the international duty. They drew away at Wolves last weekend and then obviously this result against United today. It, it's not really a uh, hit-the-panic-button situation for, for Ralph Haas and Huttle. They're still fifth in the table. And as Ant rightly pointed out, they have been massively impressive. And in, in James Ward-Prowse, who smacked... That's the best word I can think of. The noise it made. He smacked in another free kick today. They've got probably one of the most on-form players in the Premier League so not really any need to panic even though they, they threw away a two goal lead no no panic at all I think they're just missing Danny Ings like uh, I said today if Danny Ings had played especially in that first half where Manchester United were giving away territory and space uh, I think they might have scored even more than the two goals that they got from the set pieces so I think going forward that they are uh, they're comfortable you can see that the rest of the team ticks along really well they're one of the hardest working teams in the Premier League and I think Hassan Hoot was one of the most underrated coaches uh, they kind of present a great package together with the with the players that they've got and as you said I think James Ward-Prowse has played who could play certainly at a bigger club in the years ahead so I think it's all good for Southampton for a team that not so long ago were looking down the barrel of potential relegation down to the championship they're in a good place at the moment 
Yeah, I would agree. I don't think there's any real reason for any sort of panic for Southampton. They've been massively impressive in the opening weeks of the season, but when you're up against Matrix Cavani, what can you do? We're going to call can it I, there. Go on. Can, can, I, can, I, can I just have my little shirt rant and also say <laughs> he's less Matrix and more Brandon Lee in the crow, I would say. If you've not seen that, check that out. Um, just about the shirts. So obviously, you know, Southampton famous the red and white sh- stripes on the shirt. This season they've gone for a slight difference. So it's if you've not seen it, it's red with the white sash, diagonal sash running across the front. Fine, uh, no problem with that. Brilliant, I like it. A slight t- twist on it. However, from the back, it's all red with white numbers. United shirt from the back, all red with white numbers. And despite United playing as the away team today and having a black away kit and a, a black and white away kit, third kit. Um, they both played in the red shirt. So if you watch the highlights of it at any point tonight or you watch a replay of the game, whenever they're facing a throw-in on the other side, it's really difficult, especially when you look at a crowd, to figure out who is who. And surely, like, when we have so many kits and we have so many, like, problems already in terms of, like, identifying if somebody's onside or VIR or all those things, can we not just get the basics right and go, hey, you know what, guys? You've got a predominantly white kit with black stripes on. You wear that, and we'll wear this kit. Just make it easier, especially for those of us who are colourblind. Basically, if this happened to me playing FIFA or Pro Evo Online, I'd get thrashed because I wouldn't have a clue who was who. Okay, fair enough. A call to arms for all colourblind Premier League fans. If you're unhappy about kit colours or anything else colour-related towards Premier League kits, give us a shout at the Sports Social across uh, social media. We'll be sure to get back to you. Or we might get Ant to reply. He's probably a bit more qualified. We are going to call it there for the first part. After the break, we're going to be talking about Manchester City, who I'm sure Ant's going to have even more to say. Their annual 5-0 drubbing of Burnley this weekend. And we're going to be talking, why now, why not, in the opening weeks of the season. Catch you in a minute. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. Just a quick reminder, if you click subscribe on this episode, you can get a brand new podcast every single day. We are your go-to source for all things Premier League, news, opinion, gossip, absolutely everything we have got you covered. Before the break, we talked about Manchester United coming back to win 3-2 at Southampton. It was a bit more straightforward for City, 5-0 winners against Burnley. This is a ridiculous record that City have built up against Burnley. The last three seasons, four Five nil wins, three in the Premier League, one in the FA Cup. They took it a bit easy on them in 2017 and won three nil. But Burnley have not scored at the Etihad in the Premier League since 2017. A ridiculous record. Um, Ants, we're obviously going to go to you on this as our Manchester City man. These are City's whipping boys. But the result is this a little bit of an indication that City are getting on track, or is this just we always batter Burnley? Um, it could be an indication of like how many records we've set in the recent years that we're having to set really obscure ones, like the first team to get four five nil wins against another since eighteen ninety six or whatever the the stat that I heard the other day was. Um, I, you know what, I I I rate Burnley as a team. I really like Sean Dyche as a coach. I like what they've achieved up there. You know, it, it's. I don't think it's a happy place at the moment, despite all the stuff that's been going around around about that. But I, you know, I I do wonder what what happens. How is it that somebody who's as highly rated as a coach as Sean Dyche comes along 
and just every time there seems to be not even a blind spot almost this curse that this happens and in terms of like obviously when i was on last week i was bemoaning the fact that you know city had scored all season the same amount of goals as dominic calvert lewin and whatever's happened to us over the last three seasons as a team we've been the top scorers in the league the first team to get to 100 goals every player in the team has scored for the majority of it apart from Benjamin Mendy who of course pops up with his first goal for the club yesterday against Burnley uh, and also Riyad Mahrez getting his very first hat-trick he's also had a, a bit of a fun time playing against Burnley um, so before I figure out what it is that City are doing right I'm just gonna send out some like I don't know a socially distant hug to Sean Dyche because like how do you prep when it's built up this way going into that dressing room building up to that game and sending the players out what message do you send them you know just accept it's going to be five and be all right um I, I i don't know what i think and possibly controversially about the difference that's happened at city and maybe with this result yes it's been a great fixture to come along given the history of it and the the, the system that pep has just seems to work so well against whatever Dice is able to provide. Uh, bear in mind as well, like Burnley have, have really sort of, you know, although they haven't had a great start to the season, uh, things have been better, especially with the likes of ex-City boy Ben Me coming back to fitness as well. Um, but, you know, City scored as many goals, half as many goals in that game as we've scored the whole season. And to be honest, previous seasons, that's not been unusual. It's not been unusual for City to go to get at least one result like that within a sort of a four to six week period throughout the season and, and, and as a common thing but we've been severely lacking it um it would be ironic to say it might be because of the the atmosphere because uh, obviously the etihad gets slated for it but i wonder if possibly what's made the difference is you have a group of players there that you know have achieved a lot the one thing that they haven't achieved really is the champions league that's the thing that they're aiming for and what we had this week is when we've had Aguero out for so long, missing so many crucial matches, he came back for 12 minutes midweek. He's not looking fully fit, but at least he's on the road. And perhaps that was the little, maybe for some people, it, it lit a fire under them. And maybe go like, well, if he's coming back into the team, somebody's dropping out. And with it being interchangeable, am I at risk? Or maybe it's a sense of like, actually, a feel-good factor of Aguero's back, and and you know, let's let's not underestimate the influence this guy has had on City as an establishment, not just as a club, but amongst the players and the fans as well. So Aguero was the guy who, in his first season, scored that goal that won us the the league, and he's been part of that success ever since. And he's a highly rated striker. He's had problems with injuries, yes but he's so important to us. And I think he's the one player that when we do not have our formula free-flowing football working well, like somebody like uh, Mourinho comes and breaks it down and shuts us down, Aguero is the player that can unlock that door. And so the fact that he's coming back could be some people are nervous that they're going to lose the position or perhaps it's just as simple as like, yes, this is happening. We're, we're, we're warmed up, we're in gear, we're motoring, let's go. we still got a game in hand and we'll only be a couple of points off the top if we win that as well. Rob, obviously I'm needling Ant a little bit and saying, why now? Why this week? Why couldn't it be done against X, Y or Z? But 
as impressive as City were and, and Guardiola's full of praise for Mares, he called him incredible in his post-game interview and he smacked in a brilliant I'm using smack again he banged in we're going to go with bang banged in whack. A, whacked in a brilliant hat-trick um, there is still this sense of yes but this hasn't been good enough from City for the start of the season this is only their fourth Premier League win so far and Burnley are in disarray you should be beating Burnley at home and you should be beating them comfortably so when you look at that performance and you look at how abject they were against Tottenham and they, they had their chances to win the game against Liverpool but they couldn't quite get over the line where does the issue lie because for me this is a massive stick and plaster over a problem that's going on at City at the moment because Guardiola won't be going in for training this week and saying guys that's it we've battered Burnley you know we're getting the band back together there's still issues so how does he use that performance and that result to look to motivate them for what's probably going to be a fairly season defining run of games well, when you score goals, that always gets you going. So, you know, Burnley were a perfect opponent for Manchester City at this stage. Uh, for me, I think when you look at the balance of the side, and I totally agree there with what you said about Sergio Aguero, I think when he's in the team or, or coming up to fitness, Manchester City always just look a better football team. But I look at Kevin De Bruyne and I think those first kind of maybe seven or eight games of the season that he played in, he just hasn't been up to his kind of stellar best. And what we saw yesterday with, with Manchester City was that De Bruyne just looked great. You know, he was a conductor of the band. He was making those runs that he does. He was picking every pass. He was seeing everything around him with the swivel on his head. And he was just getting Manchester City going in the right direction. So I, I think for Pep, that's all he really needs. You know, if he's got his guy who can conduct the whole team and get them going in the right places, then, then I think you'll see the best from Mares. I think you'll see Sterling come back into the team and you'll see the best from him. But then, of course, if you've got Aguero up top, he'll score goals, Manchester City will look more dangerous and they'll just simply win more games. Um, obviously, Burnley and Sean Dyche, we kind of feel a bit sorry for them on the back of a 5-0 defeat. Rob, I'm going to bounce back to you on this. Dyche just, he looks tired. Like we, we kind of recycle this idea of, no, he always does in orphan. Burnley will be fine and Dyche knows what he has to do. But one win so far this season, that was last weekend against uh, home to Crystal Palace. There's only so much that he can take. And I think as soon as that first goal went in and, and City do have a record of scoring early in these these hammerings of Burnley him the players everybody just seems to lose concentration and confidence and focus he looks like maybe he's slowly beginning to run out of road we hear this talk of a takeover that's been delayed and rumbles on and rumbles on eventually as I say he is going to run out of road and run out of patience with the board and with the club yeah, I think they might be this year's Bournemouth. You know, I, I can mm. see Burnley and kind of the, the the comparisons between the two clubs in terms of just running out of ideas, as you said there. Uh, the same way that Eddie Howe did with his team, uh, a team that he'd got to mid-table and above uh, comfortably over a period of time. And then suddenly the bottom just fell out and that was the end. So I, I'm not saying that's 100% what's going to happen at Burnley. Uh, all of the factors around the football club that are going on at the moment will affect things. But I think when you look at the squad and what he can actually do with that team, he is really limited. You know, how does he take that team on again or even just sustain the same levels of competitiveness that we've seen over the years? Now, yesterday, obviously, Pope didn't play and it, you cannot underline how often he saves that team uh, in the net. And, you know, he's a great goalkeeper and proved himself to be one of the best in the Premier League. But you could see that there was no outlets for Burnley yesterday. And, and that's a repetitive issue that goes back to last year. One thing I will say, Burnley have in the past have the, had these horrendous starts to a season where for the first 10 games, they look like relegation fodder. And then suddenly Christmas comes and it clears 
clicks and they start winning games 1-0 and they get clean sheets week after week after week and suddenly they look safe. So I don't think it's, it's complete doom and gloom for Burnley, but there's just that whiff, I think, at the moment that this might be the season where they are actually fighting a relegation campaign. Yeah, it does. It just seems to be a little bit, not quite washed out, but or as you say, running out of ideas, I think is the perfect way of looking at it. Uh, so yeah, I think it's safe to say at the moment, Turf Moor is not happy place or happy, happy place as Jordan North would describe it. Anyone that doesn't get that reference, uh, give I'm a Celebrity a quick watch or don't uh, if you're not a fan of things crawling all over your face. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, after the break, we're going to be talking about Liverpool against Brighton. Jurgen Klopp not happy once again as Liverpool conceded a 93rd minute penalty and he was also upset by the kickoff times we're going to be talking about that and all the other action from the weekend after the break football's social daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk football's social daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. We discuss Manchester United and Manchester City both picking up three points this weekend. However, title rivals Liverpool were held to a one-all draw away at Brighton. We're going to talk about that game in just a second. But before we do, some sad news has broke in the last hour. Former Senegal international and Fulham and Portsmouth midfielder Papa Bouba Diop has sadly died at 42 after what has been described as a long illness. Very sad news. Probably the most iconic moment that would associate with him was that goal against France in the group stages of the 2002 World Cup very very sad news for a footballer from the Premier League Liverpool uh, one all draw away at Brighton as I said before the break Rob bit of a controversial end Jurgen Klopp he's not happy bunny in the last few weeks kickoff times um, scheduling of matches he's been absolutely raging about various things hopping mad he's had a little bit of a beef with Chris Wilder this week and Again, very unhappy with this with this result. 93 minutes on the clock. Controversial penalty given away as Andy Robertson fouled Danny Welbeck. We're going to focus on that as, as the big issue for this game. Straight up, Rob, was it a penalty? He does catch Welbeck, but are we getting into that grey VAR area of, is it a penalty? It's a penalty. Simple as that. No questions um, asked, it's a penalty. No, I, I think if you're in the box and the defender volleys your foot as he's trying to swing his leg and he catches your foot, whether it's a, just a slight catching of the foot or he completely wipes you out, it's a foul. It's a, it's anywhere on the football pitch, it's a foul. And this is why VAR was brought in. I know, obviously, football fans are divided about the use of VAR and you know why do we actually have this system in place to, to catch these minute fouls? But I think that you have to kind of think about where the bar is set and and just stick with it. And I think with English football, you know, we know it is a, a much more kind of aggressive form than maybe in other European leagues. But at the same time, if you get kicked, that's a penalty. That's a foul. And I don't really see that being as highly controversial compared to maybe some other decisions that we've seen over the season. Uh, and obviously Klopp's main beef as well as VAR was this idea of uh, kickoff times they played in the Champions League in midweek they're then the first game on a Saturday morning a 12.30 UK kickoff time he's absolutely seething about this and he's got into a little bit of a row with a journalist called Des Kelly who's essentially not come out in, in support of the uh, the broadcasters BT or Sky Sports but he's essentially laid down the, the facts of, of the situation and one of the most eye-catching numbers for me was the 12.30pm kickoff 
on a Saturday for BT Sport is £12.5 million pounds as, as a cost and it, and it roughly translates around something ridiculous like nearly £100,000 per minute so obviously they want the big teams the Liverpools the United Cities playing in those matches and, and they'll try and force the Premier League's hand on that in terms of Klopp's position he, he does have a point but when we're talking about those sums of money there's very little chance of anything changing yeah suddenly uh, I'm sure as soon as you said that Alexi Sanchez is is pricked up somewhere. <laughs> Hundred thousand pounds a minute, I could do that. <laughs> um, I, it's it's been it's been nice to see Klopp rant um, actually, and I'm not saying that as a as a bitter City fan about them winning last season or anything like that. I mean, generally, I think whenever you see somebody like Mourinho have a rant, you go, okay, you're doing this tactically. What's the reason for it? But Klopp is the other way around. Klopp is just pure emotion you know and I, I could be getting him wrong here but I get the feeling that he very much wears his heart on his sleeve and he, he's annoyed about it and, and the implications that has and yes you're right you know the, the the fact is is that football has become a money game and that calls the shots now over so many things and yet you know I, I think that's still going to be the cause of such frustration um, it's funny though that you know, previously, uh, before this season, I, I I wonder is it is it that different this season? Obviously, there's a lot more being compressed into a smaller occasion, but we have seen similar clashes in previous seasons. Yet, previously, Klopp spent most of his time complaining about the weather, and so I wonder if he would have been as vociferous had the result gone their way, which it should have done, because uh, they had was it, was it three? Two goals ruled out, three goals possibly, to, and, and three, but three by VAR, yeah, yeah, and and then the the missed penalty as well, which is which is a blessing. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that's just genuine him just sort of venting. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's incredible when you look at those figures, and as I say, like you know, I, the maths behind it, I don't get, I don't understand. That's something for the likes of Alexis Sanchez's agent to explain. Uh, Rob, well, before I come to you, Rob, Alexis or your agent, if you are listening, maybe there is a little bit of a negotiation in there. We know that you're a good man for uh, a lot of money for one minute of action. And as an Arsenal fan, and Rob as a United fan, I'm sure you can uh, you can testify to that. With Klopp and the situation with injuries, as I say, he does have he does have a point in terms of the bit of a backlog of games. But this idea of, of injuries being caused by games on top of games, when you look at the list of injuries that are affecting Liverpool at the moment, Joe Gomez was injured on international duty with England, Virgil Van Dijk and Thiago Alcantara were both injured as a result of, of bad tackles in, in the Merseyside derby against Everton. The only player that you could arguably say at the moment has been injured as a result of game on top of game was the Milner hamstring problem that he picked up yesterday. So I'm not being a, a school prefect about this and, and defending the Premier League as such, but these injuries that are affecting not just his squad, but his, his first 11 have generally come about by situations that are outside of the control of the Premier League. Yeah, totally. And I think as well, you know, I, I highlighted at the start of the season that if Liverpool had a campaign where they would actually experience some injuries this year, it might be very, very different for Klopp. I think the last two to three years, Liverpool have had an incredible run where 
they've had maybe one or two injuries across that in their, their major players and have been able to ride that and obviously have some incredible performances and some victories uh, in terms of consistency which have just gone on and on and on. This is the first year that Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp are having to manage what other football teams have had to manage and that is mm. either injury crises or just having to make selections with maybe younger players, trying to change tactics. One of the things that Liverpool have had to do, have gone from their fabled 4-3-3 to 4-2-3-1 because they've had to fit players in. And that has affected the flow and the dynamic of the football team. I think we even saw it yesterday, Salah coming off, not very happy. And then you're bringing on Mane, who's obviously an automatic starter normally. So Klopp's having to do things that he's not comfortable doing. Saying all of this, I do sympathise with what he says about the substitute rulings. And I also think that when you look at the, this kind of this beef that he seems to have with Chris Wilder who's going backwards and forwards which is all a little bit silly uh, I, I do think that football clubs you know all have these bigger squads now and there should be a way to maybe protect against injury after the lockdown that we've had and cramming in games certainly the big clubs playing Champions League football and European football in midweek and it just seems to be like back and forth of Saturday Sunday and then playing on Wednesdays and Thursdays that will impact your team in terms of muscle injuries it just has to uh, and we, we saw that you know I think across the whole of the league this season it's not just Liverpool uh, but as you as you highlight you're right you know Liverpool only maybe had one muscle injury in that time but it's something that Liverpool have to manage and if they want to retain their title they've got to be better and this is really in Klopp's court now to make sure that his team's prepared to go on and win games let's be honest as well you know they're at the top of the league still they're still in there that you know they're not they're not languishing you know below uh, mid-table they're not really losing games Games. But you saw in that match yesterday, if that was 12 months ago, Liverpool would have found a way of winning it. It would have been comfortable, 2-3-0, and they would have just gone to the next game. They're not in that place at the moment. Yeah, and I think the way that the vibe that Klopp, Klopp gives off in post-match press conferences, obviously he's very intense and he's very uh, passionate about what he's talking about. Maybe he just loves breakfast. That's what I always think sometimes when they get an early game. Maybe he's just a fan of a long breakfast. Sometimes I'd love, I'd love a journalist to just ask that, just to see how we react. Um, speaking of breakfast or not speaking of breakfast, Carlo Ancelotti. He looks like a man who enjoys a leisurely breakfast. I imagine he makes a nice breakfast. Uh, he's probably not inviting you around to his house this weekend because Everton lost at home. To to Leeds yesterday but for me for my money Rob this was all about Leeds Everton they were good but they were very very patchy Dominic Calvert-Lewin who's banging form didn't really seem to click for him but Leeds were excellent and Bielsa you get the sense that he needed this first win in five Premier League games they had a little bit of a bump in the road before the international break but this Leeds performance alongside the, the game at Anfield at the start of the campaign was what we wanted to see this was the championship Leeds Calvin Phillips switching the play in midfield, lots of industry in and around Patrick Bamford and, and Rafinha getting a brilliant first goal. Yes, at the start of the season, again, on this podcast, I tipped Everton to be a, a dark horse for the top four and they started so well and I thought I was really great at predictions and that looked like it was going fantastic. Um, I'd like to retract that now um, I don't think that <laughs> Carlo, gonna Carlo be... won't be inviting you around for breakfast Carlo did want me to go for brunch but I said no you know <laughs> after that performance I wasn't happy uh, and I just think with Everton you can see already that they're running out of steam you know as soon as they had one or two injuries and suspension it, they just fell flat and they, 
they were the perfect opponent yesterday for Leeds to just go and do the Leeds United thing that they did last year in the Championship. Perfect Bielsa set up um, playing this free-flowing, attacking, aggressive football. And Everton just couldn't really match them in any department. Uh, very exciting for Leeds fans, of course. You know, I think going forward that they can really take on this division and, and have, a, have a good finish to the season, even though we're still very, very early. But for Everton, you can see the cracks already that this is a squad that still needs development. You know, James Rodriguez has gone from looking like peak James to looking like Real Madrid on the bed, bench James. And uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, if he doesn't get that service, he won't score goals. And we saw this yesterday. So uh, a funny kind of result, I think, for, for Everton, but very, very promising for Leeds. Yeah, I agree. Uh, quickly on breakfast, Ant, uh, which Premier League manager do you think makes the best, best breakfast? Oh, God, that's a good one. I, I would say Roy Hudson, definitely, because yeah. just from his age and experience, and he's been all around the world managing different clubs, different players. So I doubt there's a breakfast dish or a way of making breakfast that he's not experienced. So I would relish brunch with him just to, for him to explain. I can just imagine me just sat there and just as he's frying up the, the eggs and the beans and, and whatever the, 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 he says, here's this little thing I found in Switzerland. Smell that, isn't it so fresh? And ah, oh, yeah, th- this is a new concept. This is a new spin-off podcast. Rob, uh, breakfast with Roy or who would you go for? I think Roy's Croydon breakfast would be lovely and I've actually had one before but uh, I think uh, we, we talked about Hassan Hootel earlier on I think he's a, a skilled technician I think he would probably put together an amazing breakfast for you if it was something <laughs> that you asked for Yeah, I agree uh, One manager who gives off the vibe that he'd ask you to bring round your own breakfast if he invited you is Jose Mourinho Nil-nil against his old side Chelsea this weekend This was obviously billed as master versus apprentice even though Lampard and Mourinho have faced off but you know we, we like to squeeze these cliches out this was one of the most boring derby games I've watched in many a year Rob two shots on sorry three shots in total one sneaky one in added time uh, three shots on target uh, two of the best teams in the Premier League this was really really dire yeah I think to stay with breakfast it was complete waffle you know it was a terrible <laughs> hey. terrible match Ka-ching. Um, I, I, it was peak Mourinho, as I tweeted earlier on in the day. You know, they, they set up for the draw. They got the draw. No, no uh, opportunities to score in the second half. Harry Kane kind of playing as a defensive midfielder or something like that. Uh, and it was just what Tottenham wanted. You know, Chelsea didn't really have the the acumen on the day to score. They had chances to win the game, but you can still see that Lampard has a, a work in progress there with Chelsea. But Mourinho will be very happy with this opening to the season. You know, they're right there at the top. Uh, they're accumulating points. They've got a, a big run of games now that they're actually quite difficult in terms of the schedule uh, and they might hiccup along the way. But but today, nil-nil, Jose will take that every day of the week. As a United fan, I saw that plenty of times uh, all Trafford uh, under Jose and uh, I think we'll see it again under Spurs here this season. Um, and Rob is right that Mourinho will sleep easy tonight based on this result because it's absolutely perfect for him as, as good as they've been in the last few weeks and this strong start they made to the season and entering into the, the title race conversation but in, in terms of who kind of got the better I know it's only a point each but who will be the more pleased manager uh, I don't know maybe steal a breakfast uh, cliche who's got egg on the face Mourinho or, or Frank Lampard Um, I think the, the egg, if it's going to be on anybody's face, it's going to be on Frank Lampard because of that strike force is assembled. We know that Mendy has been kind of like a key point to sort of showing up that defence and giving them the confidence that I don't think they had 
when Kepa was uh, the man between the sticks. That's been crucial and super important to them. But you look at the strike force that they've got. Werner looks unplayable sometimes. Pulisic is back from injury as well. Zayek, oh, that, that he is, is a potential to really light up this, this Premier League like very few other players have. Yet, with all those players, with even bringing on Giroud, World Cup bringing the Giroud towards the end, it was 76 minutes in this game before Chelsea had a shot. That tells you one thing, right? Mourinho will be going out tomorrow and he will be having the biggest breakfast he can have because he will be super satisfied with that. Because that is... Th this game was classic Mourinho. This is very evocative of even back as far as like 2004, 2005, the, the way Chelsea used to play. And, you know, look at it. Tottenham, as we speak, are sat on top of the Premier League table uh, on goal difference, but plus seven goal difference over Liverpool, their nearest rivals. Mourinho will be getting extra bacon, extra sausage, and a double round of toast because he is pleased as punch. And I tell you what, you know, people have written this off before, but I, I, I think, especially the way this season's coming thick and fast, I think Spurs are going to do very, very well. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them up and around at the end of the season. Um, yeah, I would agree. And I think the way that they've started, he'll be delighted with this result, or at least pleased. As pleased as you're going to get, it's, it's always difficult to, to get a smile out of Mourinho in the last few years. Uh, one team that are not going to be challenging for the top four, but I've had a brilliant weekend, uh, Rob, is West Brom. First Premier League win of the season at home to Sheffield United. Ahead of this game, neither manager had got a win under their belt. A total of 18 games without a win. So you, you got the sense that whoever wins this is just kind of stamping on the other one. And this is a situation of Billy putting the foot on, on Wilder's throat a little bit. Yeah, another one of my fabled predictions at the start of the season on this podcast was that Sheffield United would be in a relegation battle and I think we're seeing that materialise now. Uh, West Brom needed that win today, uh, yesterday obviously, they, they wanted those three points, they needed to get those on the board but I think for Sheffield United, you know, again when you look at their squads and their options, and we've just talked about Burnley it's a similar kind of problem, isn't it? You know, they they have strengthened in the summer, but have they strengthened in the correct areas? And, you know, they they just look like a team that lack inspiration and, and lack ideas. And whether Wilder is, can change things around and find a new formula to get them winning games again, I'm not 100% sure. But you do get this sense, uh, and with Chris Wilder, that yes, second season, etc., etc. He is trying. He is trying to to find a solution. They brought in Rian Brewster to fix this issue they have with, with scoring goals. But to use a bit of an old adage, no luck seems to be going in their favour. They're not getting the bounce of the ball, the rub of the green, ding, 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 ding. Nothing seems to be going right for them. Yeah, and it's it's a horrible when you look at that table, when you look at those figures. It's kind of what people expected last season, and it is genuinely shocking to see them like that. And yes, you're right; they uh, they're not having the rub of the green. But you know, when they do get it, they're not making much threat. I mean, like B Burnley, they've got the lowest lowest goals in the Premier League this season. I mean, their defense is actually slightly better because they seem to be losing more by one goal than than, than a couple. But they've only managed four goals all season. And that's that's the real problem. I mean, th when you look back last season as well, they did much better than people expected. But even then, it was down to a strong defence. And, you know, somebody was going to fold um, last night. And it, it's, 
you know, it, it, it's going to be a very tough rest of the season for them. I don't think Wilder is going to have to worry because I think possibly as a club, they expected this to happen last season. So they may be in a better position. And so they may be given some grace because he's done such good. And I don't know if you've ever been to Sheffield United or spent much time there, but it's such a different experience, especially compared to going to Man City. Like literally, there's zero security there. It's just very, very congenial. You can just wander, practically just wander up and knock on his office and have a chat with him. It's it's a, a little more like an old-fashioned family-run club, um, I think. So the the in terms of like an environment for him to be in, I don't think there's pressure there. However, maybe that's counting in, you know, counting against him that he doesn't have that that pressure on him to sort of. Uh, find a change I'm sure from just from a point of view of his own professional pride he'll want to be there and he won't want to be in this position and you know they're not that awful they're just not converting chances and that that in itself is going to be enough to see them out and, and sadly I think Rob's prediction could be nailed on yeah, it's becoming eerily, eerily uh, predictable for Sheffield United in the last few weeks. Uh, final game to cover, harking back to Friday night, Crystal Palace nil, Newcastle two. Roy Hodgson is such a nice fella, and probably think he still make he probably still make breakfast. So I was going to say he'd be in no mood for breakfast, but I just think Hodgson's such a nice fella. He's probably always in the mood for breakfast. But even by his standards, Rob, um, he probably won't be making too much breakfast for his defenders. Maybe just like a Weetabix with a little bit of milk because. 10 minutes away from a valuable point against the probably mid-table rival. They just threw it away and allowed Newcastle to get two goals. Yeah, Palace weren't cooking, certainly not in the day. Um, I think when you look at what Crystal Palace can do, the good stuff and the bad stuff, there's there's still too much there where, where they can just fall flat. And we see that kind of every few weeks. Uh, it, it was the kind of game that they needed to win, you know, this, uh, this time of the season, just to, to keep the momentum there and keep the motivation high. Uh, and for Newcastle to go away and, and win away from home, that's a, a great thing for them to be able to, a platform for their season to build going forward. But I think Hodgson, again, another club where you look at the squad options and, you know, they've brought players in, but do they again have those options to change things around, to, to have a, a different dynamic to them? I think... You know, they've got one or two good young players who have come through this season. But it could be, again, a very, very difficult for the season for them to stay up. And I think they're going to be in that conversation for relegation as well. Yeah, I think, again, they're never going to be far away from the conversation. And as good as Roy is at making breakfast, that's not going to decide whether they stay in the Premier League <laughs> or not. That is all for tonight's show. Don't forget, tomorrow, Monday's podcast, the guys are going to be back. They're going to be looking at Arsenal's game against Wolves and also previewing the Monday night matches, which are Leicester City at home to struggling Fulham and Jim's West Ham United at home to their Claret and Blue rivals, Aston Villa. Great show tonight, guys. Rob, and thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Not a problem at all. And don't forget, we are back to seven days a week with the Premier League season up and running. If you hit subscribe on this episode, you can get a brand new one every single day. And we'll see you again very, very soon. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.